This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Super Retriever Series Behind the Line podcast. Hey, everybody, I'm your host, David Hamilton, and today's guest is very well known in the dog game, not just here in the SRS, but also HRC, and he even competed in the great outdoor games years ago, and we're going to dive into all that here in just a little bit, but first, we wanted to thank our sponsor of the Behind the Line podcast, the Super Retriever Series Crown Championship, along with this episode of our podcast, is brought to you by Yukonuba, the leader in premium nutrition for sporting and working dogs. And a guy who knows a thing or two about sporting and working dogs is today's guest here on the podcast, Larry McMurray. Larry, thanks for joining us. Uh, hope all's well in your world. Yes, sir. Glad to be here. Now, Larry, a lot of people in the Super Retriever Series probably know a lot about you and about uh, your experience. But for those who, who don't, let's, let's kind of start from the beginning. Give us a little background. Uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, what was your childhood like? You know, were, were you a hunter as a child? Uh, did you have dogs? And then as you became an adult, you know, how you kind of got into to training dogs? Sure. Well, I live in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, I had the good fortune as a child. Uh, my dad was, was into hunting, and my first experience hunting actually was squirrel hunting. And I think that's probably where I got into an appreciation for what a hunting dog can do for someone. Uh, I, had a, I had a great uncle who we would go visit with. And uh, I tell you, he lived out in the boonies. He had a crank telephone, a well, the outhouse, the uh, wood stove, the whole nine yards. But in addition to that, he had some great squirrel dogs. And uh, I was amazed uh, at how well they performed. And it, I just got attached to, to dogs at that point and have it been ever since, I guess. What kind of dogs did he hunt with? They were just curs. I mean, you, you never knew what he was going to have down there. They, uh, some of them would range real far, some of them hunt real close, but, uh, boy, the good times we had, uh, hunting with those dogs, uh, it, it, it left an indelible impression on me. 
Absolutely. I can tell just by hearing you talk about it. It sounds like it was a, a key moment in your life and a, and a fond memory for sure. So how'd you get into Retriever specifically? Like what brought you into wanting to train a Retriever and, and doing that? Well, of course, I started off duck hunting like most guys and I did not have a dog. And I remember the day that I decided I was going to get a dog. We were hunting off the White River and I had crippled a mallard, a drake, and it was in a field that was flooded anywhere from knee deep to waist deep and chasing that duck back and forth and around and around and trying to get put the final kill shot on it uh it was about 17 degrees that day and i was wore out i remember getting back to the blind with my hunting buddy and i said man i just i've got to get a dog so <laughs> that was really where it all started and uh my wife i went home and told her the story and she was gracious enough to give me a christmas present that year uh it was a a male chocolate puppy um and we named him bud and i had these aspirations that he was going to be my bud hunting in the for duck hunting and it just didn't work out with that dog he he uh he had a great pedigree and we didn't know anything about pedigrees at the time but it, as it turned out it was a show dog pedigree and unfortunately that dog just never really cared that much about the game and uh can you tell pretty early i mean like can you tell pretty early with a dog if he's going to be good at, at duck hunting or, or something like that or, or well in a way yes uh i mean the thing that you really want to do is i had trained squirrel dogs before this uh, based upon my previous experience with dogs and there's just something about a dog that is intended for its sport that it just has this certain glean in its eye and it just desire to want to do the work and the dog was great during obedience work and uh but when it came time to put feathers in his mouth he just could care less and really that's how i got involved with hrc was i was just so frustrated with trying to figure out how to get this dog to enjoy the game that, that my vet actually turned me on to hrc and that's how i got involved in all this mess so I, I wanted to circle back on, on two points there. It sounds like uh, it's a familiar story that you have where uh, the person decides they want a dog after they've had to go retrieve their own duck in freezing cold water and trying to find the thing. <laughs> so it's interesting that then you went and got Bud. But uh, so it didn't work out with Bud. I mean, obviously, it sounded like a great dog, just not a great hunting dog. So, right. you know, how did you finally get a, a retriever that you realized, hey, this dog might actually be pretty good at, at things like HRC and, and Super Retriever Series? Well, I'd attended a couple of uh, hunt tests uh, with HRC and got to really witness what a good dog looked like, because uh, my experience with the retrievers at that point had been zero. So uh, I knew what I was looking for, and, and the first thing was I wanted a dog that was just really crazy about retrieving. And I had a friend that uh, his sister lived in Dallas, and she had a, supposedly this nice retriever, and by that time, I'd learned about pedigrees, and I asked him to get me a copy of that dog's pedigree, and it looked really good. And I said, well, you know, if you'll just breed that dog to a nice male, I'd love to have a puppy out of it. And uh, so she did. And as I like to tell the story, I went from the outhouse to the penthouse in two dogs, because that's when I got Pepper. And uh, kind of the rest is history from there, because she really turned out to be a a very good quality dog. 
Yeah, I was wanting to talk about Pepper. So she was a highly decorated dog. I mean, she was a grand hunting retriever champion in HRC many times over. She ran in the Great Outdoor Games. She ran in the Super Retriever Series, countless other accolades. Just can you talk to us for a few minutes about Pepper and your experience with her? Well, it didn't take long to realize that this was the dog I was looking for. Uh, she just really loved the game, uh, loved being a team member. She was always ready to please and, and do what you ask of her. And at that time, I, I didn't I didn't train with an e-collar. Uh, all of our training through her whole life was just, as people keep, tease me, was the old Amish way. I just, I didn't have a collar. And uh, we passed 10 grands with that dog. Uh, she was a master hunter, upland hunter, and uh, ended up in the Hall of Fame for HRC. She was just a... An incredible animal, just a little bit before her time, before all this SRS stuff really got to rolling. And then competing, let's let's take it back to the beginning of Super Retriever Series as well. So Great Outdoor Games 2000, Super Retriever Series actually started as a qualifier for the Great Outdoor Games. You competed in that initial Great Outdoor Games on, on ESPN, and if I'm correct, all four years of the event in some capacity. So what was that experience like for you to be competing in dog games on national television back in 2000? Well, it, it was really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a ton of fun. We, uh, you know, being on television, uh, we couldn't use live birds. So we were introduced to the, the rubber duck, if you will. And, uh, Tom Dockin was the, was the supplier of the first ones. And I remember we were, were given some of those to train with. And, uh, it, it was a really neat deal because, uh, you just never knew what you were going to find when you got to, got to the great outdoor games. The first one was in Lake Placid and it was, that was just an awesome place to have those events. Um, I, I ran the first one and then I judged the second one and I came back and ran the third one. And I judged another one after that. Uh, and then I ran another one. <laughs> So I, I was involved in it for about four, the first four years. Yeah. Like you say, and it, it was just a, it was a great deal. Nowadays, rubber bumpers are part of training from the minute the dog, you know, starts his training. But as you said, back then you, you actually were used to live birds and had to actually switch over to the, to the rubber bumpers. So was that a challenge trying to get your dog to go pick up a rubber bird when it's used to picking up a, a real bird? Initially, yeah, it was, because uh, they just had not experienced it before. You know, dogs are going to do what they're accustomed to doing, and it's all in what you train them to do. And it didn't take long. You know, within a week or so, she was just, Pepper was as good about picking up a dock and duck as she was, you know, a, a real bird. What was your and Pepper's relationship like at the line? I mean, when you when you got her out of the truck, did she have a tell, if you will, to know that, okay, today she's in the zone and she's going to do a really good job, or, oh, today maybe she's being a little temperamental and I'm not going to get her best performance? That dog was consistent. I mean, she she just was always ready to play the game. Um, she was, as a puppy now, she was had a lot more uh, vigor about the game, it, you know, until she matured a little bit. But uh, I can remember there were days when we would run a test, and I can remember a couple of grands in particular, where there were some really tough tests set up, and she just went up there and hammered them. And it's, I know you, it's hard to believe, but I tell you, there were times we'd walk off the line, and she would look up at me and like, I did good, didn't I? And it, you could just, 
you could just tell looking in her eye that she was just real proud of what she'd done. That's awesome. That's to to have that bond. I'm sure is just something you'll always cherish. Um, yep. Speaking of the great outdoor games, you said just a moment ago that you know in the first four of them you competed in a couple of them, you judged a couple of them, and and of course the Super Retriever Series started as a qualifier for for the great outdoor games. So, what were your thoughts on the the early days of the SRS and and how it's matured into the to the event that it is now? Well, in the first great outdoor games, uh, as a competitor, you didn't get to watch any of the other dogs run. They held you in a tent and you just, and all the competitors were in the tent looking at each other with their dogs. And until they called your name, you could hear what was going on out there, but you couldn't see what was going on out there. So nobody really had an advantage about learning what was the traps of the game or the things to look out for in the test. So when you went out there to compete, you were just completely on your own and had to deal with it by yourself and your dog. So. It was was there a test a dog beforehand, or was it just straight up you go out there when it's your turn? You know, to tell you the truth, I don't remember if there was a test dog or not. I'm sure there, surely there was. I just don't remember that part of it. I just but you couldn't sitting, watch the other competitors, right? <laughs> I just remember sitting in that tent listening to all the, the whistles and the nose and the whistles and the whistles thinking, oh, my gosh, it's like a gladiator going to war because <laughs> you just didn't know what, what to expect when you got out there. <laughs> Well, as a judge, what's that experience like? Well, it was fun because you really had no rules to go by. Uh, you Whatever you could dream up, you could do the test. Uh, I remember the one year, one of my favorite things that we did is uh, we took a, one of those birds. Uh, this was in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and we it was the first diving duck we ever had. We took a... What we did, the mark, when we threw the mark, it was actually a sack of rocks. And it splashed in the water, and, and we had a one of those ducks tied to a rope, and we would let it come up and float on the water like where it landed. So when it got time for that bird to be retrieved, as the dog got closer to the bird, we would actually pull that bird under the water like a diving duck. And then the handler had to handle his dog away from there to a blind retrieve that was 40 or 50 yards off to the side somewhere. It, it really caused some problems for some dogs because they just weren't used to hunting and, uh, and having an actual bird dive on them like that. So that, that was one of my fondest memories. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And it, and it really kind of separates, like you were saying, the, the good from the great, right? The ones that can handle that, that unexpected challenge that they weren't anticipating out there. Yep. That's right. All right, so I know that in addition to Super Retriever Series, you're also a big HRC guy. Anybody that knows you knows that you're a regional field rep. You're also an HRC judge. Um, so how'd you get started in HRC? I think you said a few moments ago it was, it was through your vet. So um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And then also, you know, how does HRC and AKC kind of run different in SRS? How is it similar? Um, and and I guess the third part of that question is, is how do you train a dog to run the, the three different type of events? Well, as I mentioned, uh, I got involved in HRC because that my first lab just, just really, I was at my wits end to try to figure out how to get him motivated to want to do what he needed to do. And, and I got involved in the club. And when I went to my first hunt test, I, I could remember it. I had already made up in my mind that this dog just wasn't going to make it and trying to convince my wife at the time that it was a, a Christmas present and, 
and I really needed to think about getting another dog. I was just trying to figure out how to convince her of that. And after we'd gone to our front first hunt test, it was really kind of funny. We were driving home and, and, and we were sitting in the truck and she looked over at me and she goes, you know, I just don't know if Bud can do this or not. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Cause now I have an opportunity to get another dog, but that's how I got involved in it to start with. And, and really the only thing I wanted at that time was just a hunting dog. Just a good hunting dog. So when I went to hunt with somebody else, I'd be proud of, of, of the dog and it would do the job. And that's all I really was interested in. But as time went on, I realized that, man, these dogs can really do some special things. And it just kept on and on and on. And one day you finally look kind of in the rear view mirror and you think, yeah, we're, we're, we're really doing this. I mean, we're really performing at a, at a higher level and, and I never ever dreamed about running the grand. Uh, that was just a, a way out there thing that you just never really thought you would ever participate in. But, uh, I remember the day I got my championship on pepper, uh, uh, Greg Bradford, the fellow that had the sire of her, he said, well, you ready to go run the grand? And I said, I, you know, I don't know anything about that grand. And he goes, well, let me ask you this. He said, when, when's the best your dog has ever been? And I, I said, well, today she was pretty good. And he goes, that's now it's time to go run the grand. So he took me under his wing and took me to a grand and showed me how it was run and how to how to play that game and we got involved in it and uh got our grand title and <clears throat> there was another pro trainer i remember the day we got our title and we were sitting in the parking lot kind of getting ready to go home and his name was barry Lyons, and he looked at me and he goes well you gonna run another one and i said well I, i'm thinking about it and he goes well heck anybody can pass two so <laughs> so he kind of challenged me to pass another one. And so we ended up passing 10, uh, fours over with, and actually we hold a record. That's the record for, uh, amateur passes at, at the grand. Um, so quite the accomplishment was, was yeah. the first one, were you nervous the first one? And were you nervous on the 10th one? Well, you know, I really, yeah, I was nervous on the first one because I really didn't know what to expect. Um, we didn't pass it, but if I just passed one series, it's a five series uh, event, you have to pass five series. And, uh, if I just passed one, I was just going to be happy. But next thing you know, we're in the fourth series. And the reason we went out was not because of my dog. It was because of me. Um, if I could tell you a little bit about what happened, there was a, it was a land test and it was in a bunch of mesquite trees out in big spring, Texas. And they, it was a, a, a delayed triple where you shot two birds and then you reloaded and then you shot a third bird, but that's what's normal. But what was abnormal about this test was after you shot the third bird, you had to turn 180 degrees the other direction. And they had a winger set up over there with a live pigeon in it that they pulled the tail feathers out of it and they just shot it into the air. And it flew off. It, you never knew where it was going to go. It really didn't matter. It was a distraction for the dog. And you're supposed to shoot at it. And then you go pick up your triple. Well, I get up there, nervous as I could be. I shoot the first two birds like I'm supposed to. I reload two shells. I fire at the third bird. And when I shook the gun, I sent the dog. And I heard the gallery go, ooh. 
And I looked down and I had this other shell in my gun. I was like, oh, no, what am I supposed to do? And that's when it occurred to me, I did not shoot that last bird that came out oh, of that no. hangar. And that was it. It was over. I mean, I, I took my dog out. And it was just a, it was a crushing blow. I tell you, I just, it took me a long time to get over that. But, uh, but we did good up until that point. How'd you get over that? Because I know a lot of times when, especially with this podcast, one of the things we're kind of uncovering is that oftentimes when it, that's a similar story that, that a lot of your fellow handlers have, that oftentimes when somebody loses, it's actually not the dog that makes a mistake. It's the human. And and you've let down your, your training partner, your buddy, your hunting dog, you know, your, your, essentially your teammate there. So how, exactly. I mean, how's that feel to be like, man, I'm the one that dropped the ball today. Not, not the dog. Well, I mean, simply put, it sucks. It just, oh, it, 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 it broke my heart, uh, to know that I had a dog that could do the work. It was just, I just kept her from having the opportunity to do it. And I, I remember <clears throat> going back to the truck and, uh, I hugged her neck and I said, look, we're going to come back and do this again because you, you've earned the right to do this again. And, uh, and we did, and it, it all worked out great. You said that then you went on for many years competing in many HRC events with, with Pepper. And as we mentioned, Pepper also took part in the, the great outdoor games. And so kind of wanted to circle back. How do you train for those different types of events? There's similarities, but there are some differences. So is it one of those things where you, you constantly train for all of them or is it, Hey, I know I'm doing this SRS event in four weeks. So I'm going to shift my training to that. Or, hey, I got this HRC test coming up in two weeks, so I'm going to shift a little bit of my training towards that. It, that's right. It works that way. I mean, it took me a while to, uh, you know, back when we were doing the great outdoor games, there was no white coats involved in that. It wasn't, a, it wasn't any field trial type stuff. So it was all basically a real, mo a real long distance version of, of a hunt test. But when we got into the SRS stuff, that's when you had this mixture of field trial, hunt test, just whatever the judges could dream up. And, and you have to work your way into it. Uh, you know, when in the hunt test scenario, you've got a, you're sitting at a, at a fixed station with a gun pointing out the birds. And sometimes there'll be a, a, an attention getter in the field. Sometimes there won't be, but the, but generally speaking, the, the, the stations are hidden. They're camouflaged up. You know, you know, if the dog does not follow the gun, it's going to have a hard time figuring out where that bird's fixing to come from, as opposed to a field trial where you've got a person in a white coat standing out there, which is real easy to see, but there's things that judges can do with those white coats to make it very difficult for a dog to remember where all the marks are. So, uh, some guys start off in the white coat field trial game and come and train for eight for the hunt test hrc akc type stuff uh and then but most of my friends is the other way around we, we're all hunting guys and we start off with the hrc model and then move over into the white coat stuff so and of course when you go to the field trial stuff you're really talking about stretching them out you know three four hundred yards or even further sometimes in that srs game so um it's 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 it takes time I mean, you, you can't, if you stay focused on one too much, you lose what you can do on the other. Um, so it, 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 it's a training process, um, days and days and days of training, try to keep a dog exposed to the different elements, you know, of, of the SRS. 
any advice for handlers who may be on one side and want to try the other? If, if there's somebody who's used to, you know, HRC or AKC hunt test and maybe want to give the, the white coats a, a try or, or maybe vice versa is what's your advice to someone who's made that transition? Well, I can only speak really from the, from the hunt test side to the field trial side. Um, my best advice is to go get somebody that's doing that and try to learn from them a little bit, because there's definitely some things that they can help you with to understand how to play that game. Uh, when you're talking about retired guns and, and distances like that and tight marks, it's just, it's, it's different. And it certainly helps to have a mentor to help you understand how to make that transition. But, but you've got to start simple. You know, you don't, you don't bite off that elephant, the whole, one bite at you know you got to go one bite at a time and start simple to, to teach the dog how to look for those stations and that because you can't talk to the dog in the field trial stuff you, you don't have a gun pointing to the station you, you're it's all off your body movement and uh, so they have to understand how to make those changes uh, about how to find where the bird's coming from versus being able to actually point them out with a gun yeah, it makes sense. Great advice here from Larry McMurray here on the Behind the Line podcast. We're obviously going to continue our conversation here with Larry, but just want to pause for a brief second to thank our sponsor, Yukonuba. You know, sporting dogs give us everything we ask for and then some, so their nutrition should do the same for them. You can find out more about Yukonuba at yukonubasportingdog.com or follow them on Facebook and Instagram at username Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Speaking of sporting dogs, you've trained plenty of them in your lifetime. Larry and, and many others train at a pond named after your beloved Pepper. So let's talk about Pepper's Pond. You're the you're the brainchild behind that. You, along with the Pin Oak HRC Club and the Arkansas Game and Fish, kind of built a, a fabulous one-of-a-kind retriever training facility there in Arkansas. So tell us how that came about. And, and for people who may not be familiar with Pepper's Pond, just about the layout and what kind of the purpose of that facility is. Well... <clears throat> I guess it all started with a friend of mine took me uh, to a piece of property one day. Uh, he had a friend tell him about it, and we drove up on this pond. It was a kind of a lake, really. But it didn't take you two seconds to realize that whoever built this built it for training dogs because it just wasn't your ordinary fishing pond. And uh, it was grown up. It was hard to get to. But over, the, over, the, over time, we cleared it up and cleaned it up where we could use it to its full potential. And that's back when I had pepper and, uh, it took me about two minutes to realize the value of having good water train on, um, just around stock ponds, you you know, there's only so much you can do with that, but to have some kind of technical water back then, there just really wasn't much technical water anywhere. Uh, nobody hardly had it. And I was privileged enough to, to be able to use this water. And at, along about that same time too, we had started using Camp Robinson, uh, wildlife demonstration area which is owned by game and fish we were using their property to do our fall hunt test but it didn't really have enough water uh resources there to do what we would want to do uh so we uh had some friends that knew friends in the game in the game and fish and just suggested to them could there be a way we could do a co-op deal between pin oak and the game and fish to add a pond over here somewhere. So we would have another place to run dogs and, and train possibly. And they were all in on that idea. They thought it was a great idea. And, um, 
you have to be patient when you're working with government agencies. It took about five years from the time we started talking about it till the pond actually got built. But uh, it was a collective effort between our club members, uh, people donating their time, engineers donating their time. Um, we've actually built two ponds in, in the 20 some odd years it's been over there. The first one got built. Uh, we started talking about it in 1997. That's when we first had discussions with Game and Fish. And then by 2011, I mean, not, not 2011, 2002, it actually got built. Uh, and frankly, Game and Fish thought it was just a pie in the sky deal. They didn't really understand how much it would get used, uh, which it did. And then we had a tornado hit that same area and just devastated some nice timber forest area around there and it really had just by that time we it was getting to be a pretty popular place so we approached them again about adding another pond and i think at the initially we had that first pond was about about five acres and we had about i guess maybe 15 acres of, of fields around it that we could train on but because of the tornado we started looking at another location for a pond and Came and fish came to the rescue. They uh, helped us helped us clear up all the timber. Uh, we had a extremely nice uh, caterpillar dealer here in Arkansas named John Riggs. He donated an excavator, a bulldozer. Came and fish brought their dirt pans, uh, and we built the second pond. That took about four years to get that one talked about and then finished. And then, uh, and we cleared some more land to go with it. So now we've got about a 60 acre or so area there with two ponds on it, um, to train dogs and it gets used a lot. And I had no idea that, <laughs> that it was going to end up having the name of my dog on there. I was out there actually training one day and uh game of fish showed up and I, they were pounding signs in the ground. And I didn't know what the, I thought they were putting up rules or something about the, about the property. And anyway, when I got through working out there, I was driving out and I stopped to look at the sign and I'd be dead gum if it didn't say Pepper's Pond. And it just, uh, it was, it was pretty cool to say the least, uh, to, to know they had done that. I, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to get done. So it was, it was, it was pretty humbling. I'll tell you. Yeah, I can tell even even 20 years later, it sounds like you, you get choked up thinking about all those times you had with Pepper and how you can remember them nowadays at, at the pond. It's a it's a beautiful facility. So if you didn't choose the name Pepper's Pond, who who did? Who suggested to Arkansas Game and Fish that maybe they name it after your dog? Uh, well, I got a feeling Shannon had something to do with it. Uh, uh, in retrospect, I think she went and had a conversation with them because they were going to uh, – change the rules about some stuff out there anyway. And I think that, I think she took that opportunity to suggest to them, maybe they might want to think about that. So it's the, it's the only piece of property in the state of Arkansas owned by Game and Fish that's named after a dog. So I thought that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And it's named after your dog. So how's it, how's it work? I mean, I know it's been, I, I've been there. It's a, it's a gorgeous place. I, obviously you said it's kind of a co-op between, between the government agency and, and your local HRC club. So how does someone who's a handler that wants to get out there and train, is it just kind of first come first serve? Is there, is there a sign up? Like how do you get access to, to be able to go out there? It's really first come first serve. Uh, it's open to the public. 
because it's on public property. So it's open seven days a week. Uh, the only time it's closed is during, uh, they have a three day rifle deer hunt out there. And that's the only time it's ever closed. Uh, you can bring a four wheeler to haul your equipment around. Um, I will say this, there's a, currently there's a four dog limit. You can only bring four dogs on a vehicle any day of the week, except Tuesdays and Thursdays and Tuesdays and Thursdays are unlimited. So you can bring as many dogs as you, as you want on Tuesdays and Thursdays. But other than that, it's just, uh, come on out. And what's really good. If, if, if somebody's there for the first time and they find somebody's already there, I would highly encourage them just to go up to whoever's there and introduce themselves and ask, can you join in? Because everybody in our club would be certainly happy to help whoever shows up, but they're, they're more than willing to help. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, and I think I, if I heard Shannon say correctly, the, the super retriever series university games, the, the competition for the college kids will be held out there in just a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it, uh, we're, we're doing our Arkansas retriever challenge. Uh, I think it's May 29th, 30th and 31st. And then the, the university kids are coming in the week after that. And, and, uh, myself and a friend of mine, Dana, we're going to be actually judging that event. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. It's got to be exciting to see the next generation get involved in that sport. Yep. Uh, I tell you, there's a, I, there's a, I didn't get to go to the one last year. I was out of town when it happened, but there was a young man there named Keith Hall. I, I tell you, I, I only remember him because he showed up at the crown championship last year. And, uh, I met his family down there. He's just a good kid, a good family. And he's got a, uh, this little chocolate dog and I'm, his, the dog's name's not sticking with me right now, but I'll tell you, I, I ran against him in, uh, Natchez, Mississippi earlier this year. And that young man's got a dog to be, uh, he's a serious threat. Uh, he's done a really good job with that dog. And I'm sure all those kids have done well with their dogs. I just happened to be, uh, fortunate enough to be around this, this dog, but yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that next week because the, it's a, it's a unique experience because the, the, the kids that own the dog can have a, a coach. And the coach can stand behind them and help them understand how to tackle the, the particular test it's set up. So they're getting coached all the way through it. So it's, it's kind of a unique partnership there between the dog the handler and the coach. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a great new thing and hopefully it'll generate more interest in the sport. Actually shameless plug here for the podcast. Keith is coming up. He's going to be a future guest, either our next one or the one after that. So he'll be uh, on an upcoming podcast and we'll, uh, we'll definitely let him know Larry that, uh, you think great things are in the future for him and his dog. Let's talk about Super. your comp. Let's talk about your competing these days. Uh, back at it, you own, uh, I believe, two dogs, Josie and Grits. You competed yep. in the uh, Crown Championship last year, and uh, yep. Grits made it all the way to the final six. Ended up in fifth place. What was that like being back in the Crown Championship? Well, you know, I hadn't run the Crown in a long time, and it's just simply because you got to have the dog that can do the work. And I, and Josie was going to be that dog, but unfortunately she has a hearing problem to where when she gets out very far and believe me at the SRS, you're going to get out there far. She just doesn't hear a whistle. And that's what kept us from competing at that level, uh, for all those years because she just couldn't hear. It was really, really rough to have to deal with that. But anyway, I bred her and got a puppy out of her named this is grits. And, uh, 
Bridge is a grand champion, an upland hunter. She's qualified all age, master hunter. And then last year we were fortunate enough to actually win our Arkansas Retriever Challenge, and that was enough to put her over uh, with enough points to get her uh, SRS Amateur Championship. So that was a that was a big big deal for me. That was a, a one of my most favorite titles, if you will. And then we went and competed in the crown. Like I say, that's the first one I'd been to in quite some time, but it, I have every intentions of going back and running it again this year. How's the game evolved from when you competed in it years ago with Pepper and now competing in it with Grits? I, you know, it's it, some. I mean, the I guess the field trial side of things has probably become a little bit more of focus, it seems, than before. Uh, but other than that, it's really hasn't changed that much. I mean, there, there's been some tweaks in the point system and how, how that, that part of it goes, but in the end, what's required of the dog of the dog work really hadn't changed that much. Um, it's still, it's still very demanding. And what about the relationship between you and grits as opposed to the relationship between you and pepper? What, what's that dog and handler teammate relationship like? Mm. Well, that's a tough question right there. <laughs> I can hear some apprehension in your voice. That's a tough question. You know, part of me wants to say that Pepper was a dog of a lifetime. Uh, I don't know if it's because it was my first dog like that or what, but uh, she was special, very special. But Grits is a different kind of dog. She's she's a little feisty thing that's full of piss and vinegar, and she is constantly ready to go. She's a good team player. Um, she's actually accomplished more than Pepper has, only because I've run her in more stuff. Because back when I had Pepper, I really didn't even think about playing the field trial game. Uh, I was just... Like I said, I was a I was a guy with a hunting dog. That's all I really cared about. And uh, but since I've gotten grits, she she does well with this field trial stuff. And and to watch her run three hundred yards and pick up a mark without really hunting for it very much, I, she's she's special. She she's she's a joy to work with. And I'm looking forward to uh, trying to go go and win another one of those. Uh, club events and then and then possibly go win that crown championship because that's my ultimate goal really is to go compete in that and win it yeah absolutely what would that mean for you if you did win it well it mean a lot because i know i know the guys that play that game and they got some darn good dogs i mean these are dogs that can do it all i mean they they have a lot of talent and and you know thing about a dog is they're not going to be on top of their game every day they go out there. Uh, there's going to be some some weekends when it's just not their weekend. But then there's some weekends you show up and, I mean, they are spot on and, and everybody just move out of the way because that's the dog to beat. And I've, I've seen several competitors like that, that there's nobody going to beat that dog this weekend. They're, they're, they're just on their game. And I and that's kind of the way Grits was, and she won the Arkansas Retriever Challenge for her title. She that was just her weekend. She was on her game, and I and it's you're looking for that next weekend that's like that. 
because that's how you're going to win one of them. It's 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 one thing to qualify in the finals, but it's another whole deal to win one of them because you know you're you're beating some pretty good dogs to, to come away a winner on that weekend. Yeah, for sure. I know that's right. Well, Larry, we really appreciate you being here on the podcast. Before we let you go, first want to say best of luck to you and Grits this year uh, competing. And like you said, hopefully you'll have a, a once-in-a-lifetime weekend and be able to, to come home with the trophy this year, the 2020 Crown Championship. But again, before we let you go, we always kind of end our podcast with a, with a rapid-fire five questions. I ask real quick questions, quick answers, and uh, then we'll get you out of here. So uh, what's something about Larry McMurray that most people don't know? Mm. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good one. Our guest uh, last week told us he's allergic to dogs, which is interesting for a guy who trains dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, I don't even know how to answer that one. What does what does some what what was the question again? What what, what is something about you that most people don't know? Uh goodness gracious. Any hobbies? Any superstitions? I've got six grandkids that I love spending time with. I know that. That, that That's something most people probably don't know. And that's great. They all live near you or no? Yeah. Yeah. They all live here in Little Rock with me. Oh, that's awesome. I grew up next door to my grandparents. That's, that's a special relationship for sure. Question two. When I say retriever trials, what's the first dog that comes to mind and why? Could be yours or someone else's. Well, I'm not going to talk about my dog. I'm going to talk about a dog named Chief. Uh, he was the first dog in HRC. At that time, he had passed five grands. And the funny thing about that dog is I thought he was made out of gold because I had never seen a dog that could pass five grands. And I remember the, I remember the first time I went to a hunt test, Mark was there with Chief. And as I was driving to a site, he was leaving the site, and I saw that chief kennel in the back of his truck. And I turned around because I just wanted to see this dog because there had to be something special about this dog. He, I mean, he passed five grand. He's got to be gold-plated or something because how can he go past five grand? So that dog will always stick in my mind is, is one of the first ones that I ever had in my eye. Of course, then there's Big Black Dude that – uh who recently passed away, but he's passed 15 grand. So he, he, he was another awesome dog too. If chief was a human athlete, what sport would he play and why? And you can also answer this question for pepper. Well, you know, I don't, that's a, I can't really know that I could answer that about chief. Um, it's all right. Let's just go with pepper. Then pepper was a human athlete. What sport would she play and why? Uh, a second to think about that. Yeah, sure. What sport would she play? She would probably be good at the decathlon. Oh. Because she could do she could do so many things so well. Uh, she was just a good all around athlete. So I would say the decathlon. That's actually that's the first time we've had that answer, and it's actually a great answer because if you think about it, the Super Retriever Series is kind of the decathlon of dog games, right? Because like you were talking about, there's hunt tests, there's field trials, there's everything. So that's yep. that's a really good answer. If you had to describe yourself in one word, what would that word be? Persistent. Some people call me persnickety, but I'm going to say persistent. Hey, we'll go with that <laughs> second one there. We'll go with persistent for sure. 
<laughs> Final question for you. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I'm retired. I've all, I always wanted to be an architect. Um, I've always liked building things and uh, designing things. Matter of fact, I'm sitting right here on 60 acres that we're designing to be a retriever training area as I'm talking to you. Uh, I just I just like building things. That's kind of why I built well, I didn't build it, but I was involved with building Pepper's Pond. It was just a dream to have something like that and just to stay persistent and and make it happen. That's uh, Anyway, I, I, I would like to have been an architect, maybe. Okay, awesome. I mean, you are a builder of sorts, building quite the impressive resume in uh, the Retriever Trials game. And, and Larry, we've really enjoyed having you here on the, the podcast today. I know I've enjoyed talking to you for the last 45 minutes or so. So... Hopefully all our listeners at home have, have enjoyed it as well and, and found some tidbits, especially those handlers out there that, you know, they can use in their own training. But uh, we really appreciate you being on the podcast today and uh, best of luck in everything moving forward. Okay. Well, thank you, David. Have a great day. Okay. Same to you, buddy.